ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome back into the Nosebleeds Podcast. It's been a while for me since I've been able to hop on an episode. Super excited to talk about it with baseball just over a week underway now. Maddie Bamante, Ethan Kramer joining me as well. And it's a it's been a great week, especially for New York baseball. A little ups and downs on both sides for the New York Yankees and the Mets. Some new rules. So kind of a ton of talk about the most ideal, especially compared to last season. But all around baseball has been fun to watch so far. So I'm really excited to get into it and just talk a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a it's been a really fun early start for baseball. And I think everyone would agree with me when the fact that the time of baseball has been cut down by about 25, 30 minutes, making these games a lot quicker. And I know we're going to kind of talk about it and see where we're at with it um, later in the episode, but it's definitely been, been a more enjoyable watch. Me and Maddie are New York baseball fans. Now, no, Ethan, you are not. So maybe your perspective on the start of the season might be a little different. That's that's going to be kind of fun to talk about later as well. Yeah, I will say the, um, the time change has been very friendly for those 10-10 starts when watching the Mariners games. Ends a little after midnight instead of those, like, 1.30 endings. Yeah, definitely. I mean, West Coast baseball is always fun to watch, and now it's not ending at one where it might be ending a little earlier. But I do want to start with New York baseball, and we'll start with the Yankees because it might be the more upbeat note, and then we could transition to Mets. And also, as Yankee fans, that makes more sense to to start. Uh, as myself, the Yankee fan, we'll start there. And for the Yankees, it's been a very positive start to the season. They take the series over the Phillies. They also take the opening weekend series as well. So they have a great start to the year. And it's looking like that things are going very well for this ball club. They had a lot of early on injuries with Luis Severino not being able to start the season. Carlos Rodon also not being able to start the season. But they've gotten really good pitching so far, especially out of their ace, Garrett Cole, who's able to take wins in both of his first starts. And Maddie, I'll start with you. I know you're the Mets fan, but what are your early impressions from this Yankees team? This Yankees team looks really good. I went to one of the opening day series against the Giants, and I was really surprised with what I was seeing, mainly just because guys that I thought weren't going to step up this year were already stepping up. Torres being one of them just is off to an electric start for the Yankees. Um, and what I'm seeing out of pitching has been really impressive because, like you mentioned, all of these pitchers going down and pitching is a problem for the Mets. I assumed it would be a problem for the Yankees as well. They're just not having the same issue. Um, aside from like one rocky start that Holmes had against San Francisco, otherwise it's been smooth sailing for them. And it's been really impressive to watch. Um, I think obviously there's going to be some people who struggle on the Yankees. Um, there's like a couple of them that are just not hitting IKF being one of them. Donaldson having an injury now that's kind of like putting him in limbo with the IL and and his hitting. But for the most part, the teams looked great and there's nothing much to complain about other than they just took a big series against the Phillies, which was probably going to be one of the most anticipated early season matchups for me um, to see them take on the NL East champs. They did it, and it went really well for them. So I'm thinking the sky is the limit for this team right now. Well, you know, they caught the Phillies at a, at a great time. A World Series hangover, and then injuries to uh, multiple starting players for them. Obviously, losing Reese Hoskins weeks before the season started is a huge blow for them. 
much unanticipated blow too. And then obviously um, Bryce Harper recovering from his surgery. But yeah, like you said, I'm very impressed with Glaber Torres, but also his ability just to steal bags. I've not seen that in prior seasons. And he already has five stolen bases, whether that be because of the bigger bases or just newfound aggressiveness on the base paths. It's been really impressive to watch. Yeah, I think Torres is like all, off the bat, the first person you think of that's taken a huge leap from last year. He's hitting 421 with two homers. You mentioned the five stolen bases, the bigger bags. You've really seen that across the league. Um, he also has six RBIs. I mean, he's slashing with 789 OPS, um, 1349 uh, OPS, um, uh, 789 slugging, 1349 OPS. I mean, he's hitting great at the plate. Looks much more confident, uh, much more confident, you know, He's talked to some reporters and he talked about how, you know, the trade deadline kind of got to him as a, you know, ment- mentally he wants to be in New York. And now that he's kind of gotten over that hump when things were struggling, he's really started to be more aggressive at the plate. And you're seeing it with the way he's been hitting. The second person you have to highlight, Garrett Cole. He goes six plus innings in each of his first two starts. He only allows three hits in both starts, one run overall. He has 11 strikeouts against the Giants in his opening day start, then eight strikeouts against the Phillies in his second start. I mean, he's been the ace that the Yankees have kind of been hoping he'd always be, and not to say he's been struggling at any times. He's been an all-star with the Yankees. He's had some very good years, but he's also a guy that led up the most homers in the MLB last season, and now we're seeing a little different version of him that's more aggressive. Seems like he's going to want to go deep in games this year. I mean, he threw 95 pitches. The first game of the season, now 103 pitches, last time out against the Phillies. It seems like he's going to get more trust, get stretched out more and more, pitch into the seventh inning regularly. And for the Yankees, if they can have that starter with Garrett Cole, where he's going to pitch almost every game, we know that's how Cole usually rolls. And they can then back him up with some really good pitching and Rodon Severino when they come back. And obviously Nestor, who's already there. I mean, this is a dangerous pitching staff that doesn't really need the hitting that much to, to win some games. Yeah, I'm really kind of surprised with how well the pitching has gone just because I've I've always believed in some of the pitchers that they have just gotten, like Cortez being one of them with how his season went last year. But trying to compare it to this season this year against guys like Cole on the team or, you know, you know, against some of these other major league pitchers, it's been really impressive to watch. Um, him kind of get into his own and now going into this Orioles series like he's fully rested for Saturday that he's going to pitch and then they have Clark Schmidt pitching um, today on today on Friday Um, and and I think for some of these pitchers that don't have the best starts like Schmidt didn't have the best start in his first thing he gave up like three runs across three innings but he still looks good and I think it's just the early season jitters there some of the pitchers are working out getting adjusted to the pitch clock which we'll talk a little bit more about later um but I think for some of these younger guys it's been really working well for them and they've been figuring it out um so I think Clark Schmidt should have a pretty decent outing today especially because the Yankees fare so well against the Orioles and against this against the pitcher I think who's starting uh Kramer um Dean Kramer but I think for the Yankees, this is just going to be a pretty, you know, regular routine series for them, especially against some of the pitching that I'm seeing with the matchups. But, um, yeah, I think the Yankees are just going to add another one and keep it rolling through through the rest of April. Yeah, I think it's 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 going to be really interesting to see, especially, you know, as things get about when they get back that pitching, I think it's going to be, Really exciting to see how good this this team is 
And think about a guy like Johnny Brito, who gets st- spot start against the Giants. He goes five plus innings, six strikeouts, doesn't allow a run, does his job. And he gets sent right down because he's not going to start again until mid-April. But he did his job, and he's someone that they weren't really expecting to have to really make an MLB debut. He does a fantastic job. But for me, and Ethan, I'm curious to see what you, you think about this. The lineup can be a little concerning, and I know the pitching is going to probably be really, really good, and the lineup might have to do that much. But you have a guy like Josh Donaldson who seems like he's going to have the third third base job locked up as of now. I know he left the previous game injured. We're not really sure what his case will be, how long he'll be t- um, out for, but he's someone that's hitting 125, two hits across 16 at-bats this season. Um, he does have a home run, but this was someone that Aaron Boone was talking about potentially being an all-star this season. The outfield is definitely questionable. Bader's still injured. Timetable for his return is still up in the air. Um, Hicks has played some left. Uh, IKF has played some center field. Judge has played some center with Giancarlo and right. There are still some pieces that need to be kind of figured out with this Yankees team in the field. And when injuries come, are they going to have the right guys to, to make things work and to be able to score enough runs to win a game um, at the plate. Yeah, I just question if they're too reliant on Aaron Judge. We saw at the end of last season, they, they or at the beginning of the season, they got off to that wicked hot start. You know, they're winning games where they like 60 and 20 or something. And then they, they started to fade because the only person in the lineup who was doing anything was Aaron Judge. And luckily for them, he had 62 home runs, record-breaking seasons. And realistically, that's not going to happen again. It's not a realistic thing to think about. I could see 40-ish home runs, but also Judge himself has a lot of history of going on the IL. So if he goes on the IL, the Yankees lineup is completely, completely thrashed. And I just don't see him being successful if he does find himself on the IL. And maybe perhaps they're going to have to look at the trade market. I know Brian Reynolds and what's going on with Pittsburgh, a little disagreement on the contract extension. Maybe that's someone they possibly think about going after. But also, I don't know how much they'd be willing to give up in their top prospects. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting before I, I I go to Maddie with this with this team, and I think the big thing with it, if no injuries happen, this is a Yankees lineup that's going to be very good. The infield looks kind of set with Glaber playing as well as been playing. We'll get to Volpe in just a minute. Um, Rizzo's going to be good. DJ seems to look, look like he's kind of kind of going to be what we remember DJ as a Yankee before the toe injury early in the season last year when he was playing great. Then he kind of played through a toe injury where he really started to struggle at the end of the year. Um, he looks really good. And then Donaldson, you know, he might not have to be an everyday guy if all those pieces are working right. But the question will be, if injuries do happen, does the Yankees have the depth, especially in the outfield, to be able to win games? And if Judge goes down, then it'd be really concerning. I think in the outfield, that's definitely a concern. I think with the Donaldson situation right now, it's not worrisome at all because of what they have in terms of utility players uh, in Cabrera and IKF or even bringing up Peraza as an option to play third, which is a possibility. So I'm not worried about their infield. I would say it's a definite worry about the outfield if somebody goes down and you're having a situation like over the previous years where you have Judge, you have Stanton both down at the same time and you're filling the gaps in the outfield, which can be really difficult with some of these rookie guys. So I think it's definitely a concern later in the season. I think right now they look healthy and they shouldn't like focus too much on it, but it's definitely something to keep in mind that Boone has to look out for later in the season and making sure some guys like Stan and judge get some rest that they need. Because I think if you start overworking them in the outfield every single day in and day out, an injury is bound to come with them just by the way they swing 
the power that they have in their swing. It's just something to keep in mind for him, but nothing too major right now. Definitely going to be interesting to see. And I think at a big piece of all of this will be how good can Anthony Volpe be? I think that's the question some people are asking right Right now, a lot of hype coming into the season with him. He was unsure if he'd make the opening day roster. As spring training kind of wore on, um, it was more and more obvious that he had a serious chance. He ends up making it in spring training. For those who don't know, he had 309, 415 on base, over 1,000 OPS. He had six doubles, 17 hits, and three home runs. Great spring training and 55 at-bats. And in the majors, very, very small sample size. He's been to the plate 21 times. He's walked four He's stolen three bags, three hits, hitting under 200, but his on-base percentage has still been very good. And he seems like he's helping the team defensively as compared to IKF last season. And I get, I think this is the question. If I'll go to Ethan first, then we'll go to Maddie. Is Anthony Volpe the shortstop throughout the entire season for the Yankees? Or do you think they might make a move for us at some point? And if he is the starting shortstop the entire season, what kind of player is he? Is he going to be all-star level this year? Is he going to be rookie of the year candidate this year? What are we seeing with Anthony Volpe? Well, first of all, Volpe's a good player, but his ranking of a top 10 prospect, I think was enhanced by him playing for the Yankees. I don't think he's on the level of a Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Walker, or Corbin Carroll. I don't think he's a rookie of the year favorite, but I do think they need to they start him throughout the whole season if they really think he's a shortstop of the future. He's a rookie. He's going to have to go through his up and downs. We saw that even with Julio Rodriguez. He was batting like around 100 in the first month of the season last year. He's a rookie. He's never seen this competition before. I don't even think he played in AAA. He's going to take a while to get used to this pitching. And they know who he is. They're not going to they're not just going to give him fastballs down the middle. He's going to have to see all these breakers. He's going to be started differently. But I think he'll figure it out and I expect him to be a good solid player. I don't I don't know if he'll be rookie of the year. I don't think he'll be an all-star, but I think he'll be a key cog in this lineup and someone that the Yankees need to rely on for success. Yeah, I think he has a lot of potential from what I've seen with the Yankees. And obviously he had a great spring. Some people don't get great springs, which is pretty rare. And being a rookie guy to come out and just hit the way you hit in spring training was impressive. I think he is kind of a long-term starter for the Yankees until June rolls around. And if the Yankees drop a game or two and they start dropping series, then I think they might switch it up to make the change. I don't see this happening unless the Yankees start going on a skid. And right now I can't see them going on a skid. So it's really hard to predict something like that. I think he has potential to be a rookie of the year kind of guy permitting he just continues to roll and just do well as a Yankee. I think some of like the Yankee bias we're talking about definitely plays into an effect with him winning rookie of the year or something like that. I don't think he is going to be an all-star yet. I just don't think that's kind of where he's headed, but I think he could definitely make a case for rookie of the year permitting. He just has the continuous strong season that he's already showing he can have. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to say, I'll say this about Volpe. I think he's going to be a very good player. Um, I really think he could be a difference maker for this team, especially with the bigger bags and the ability to take bases. Um, I just hope that the Yankee fans don't turn on him. That's the biggest thing. The Yankee fans love him right now. I mean, the guy boots a line drive ball right at him, and they're talking about how he's taking accountability in the press conference. I mean, if it was IKF, they would have been hounding him. So I just hope the tides don't turn, and then the pressure starts to mount if things don't work out. Baseball is a sport that takes a massive, massive sample size, and he's going to need a lot of trial and error to get good. If it takes 50, 60 games, I'm not really worried. You're just hoping that you have 
a very, very talented shortstop come postseason time. And I think if all works out, you'll get that with Anthony Volpe. Now, I want to switch lanes to the Mets because I feel like this is probably the New York storyline um, right now. I feel like this is probably bigger than the Yankees. They start off the year playing pretty good baseball. Um, I believe they take three out of four from the Marlins. They do take um, uh, three out of four from the Marlins. So they start the year three and one, but then they get swept by the Brewers to move to three and four. And those losses were, were kind of big. They get outscored 19 to nothing in the first two games. They lose the last game seven to six. So it's a it's a big time sweep. And Maddie, I think you might know this that better than me. I'm not sure how many series it took for the Mets to lose a series last year, but this is the second series of the year, and they already lost a series. I want to say they went the first few months of the season last year without even losing a series. So it's a little different vibe this year. No Justin Verlander. He's still on the IL dealing with that armpit injury. Max Scherzer has not looked himself himself through the first two starts. And this lineup, it's been kind of weak. Now, I know it's early, and I know it's probably way too early to pick the panic button, but someone in the Mets organization definitely felt like it was time to make a move, and we have Francisco Alvarez, who's going to be called up to the big leagues now. So all that information, I know it's a lot. Maddie's the Mets fan. She covered the team. I'll go to you first. Give me your thoughts on this Mets team, and where are you at right now trying to figure out this mess, if you call it a mess? So it's a very different start compared to last year's where, like you mentioned, they went until mid-May in their West Coast series before they lost a series yet. Um, What I have seen with this team is its age. Its age is really showing. And that's especially with the pitchers. And it's been really hard to watch, I think, them adjust to new rules this way. The pitching already down when you hear Verlander goes down right before the season starts that was already a blow so you're thinking okay we'll pick it up we have McGill we have Scherzer we have other guys that will step into the rotation and then they start pitching and it just does not go their way and I think this all comes down like I don't want to make it sound like this is like me complaining about it but the pitch clock definitely has impacted how these older pitchers are really pitching and I think it comes down to how much time they have before each pitch they're not used to it as veteran guys like this in the state as opposed to a younger pitcher who can just like quickly fly through balls and pitches these guys can't do it the same way that's just the end like the end all of it I love the pitch clock personally. I like the shorter games. I just think it's really neg- negatively affected how these older pitchers are going to deliver. I think the other thing, Mets hitting is just inconsistent. Once you get out of that first top five of the lineup, there's nobody getting hits. Canna isn't getting hits. Nito or uh, Narvaez isn't getting hits. Um, like the back half of the lineup can't hit at all. They are just gone quiet um, outside of like, um McNeil constantly hitting Nimmo drawing um walks and getting on base nobody's really doing it to the same level I know Pete Alonso had a multi-home run game the other day but they're just not hitting in the way they need and so they need a jump start and I think that's going to be Alvarez Alvarez didn't have the best spring that happens and I don't think that he should have been judged like throughout the entire season on just his short spring that he just didn't hit on um and he like is going to come into this and hopefully deliver some offense because he started off in Syracuse pretty strong. Like he was hitting 250, which for him is not like his level, but it's better than what we saw in the spring. So it's obvious that he is adjusting to the pace of play. 
Um, Escobar has been horrible, which makes me more likely that a Brett Beatty call-up could happen later um, down the line as well, um, because I think that would also jumpstart some offense. Brett Beatty has looked pretty decent. I think that it's just a matter of also is Buck willing to start moving these players around because he has such a good relationship with them. I think he's hesitant to do something like that. And I think that kind of stands in the way on whether or not the Mets are going to call up and bring down people and where they're going to move people. Um, And I think to kind of like round this out, I never would have expected going into this season that Kodai Senga was the best pitcher the Mets had. I really wouldn't have. He has been like, insane with what I watched with his pitch like he didn't have the best first like inning he got settled it was his MLB debut so that there's that his ghost fork was really cool to watch like I as a fan was very excited to watch him pitch that and I think he was impressive he was the kind of the bright spot that I got to see but the Milwaukee series was rough at best to say but I don't think this is like me saying the season is over, we're tanked, we're washed, we're not. It's the first two series, so it's going to be different for now going on. Yeah, I think the biggest thing before I talk to Ethan with this Mets start is it's a small sample size, but I feel like it played into every single fear the Mets fans have had maybe heading into this year that maybe the lineup wouldn't be good enough. I don't think anyone is expecting Scherzer to struggle the way he is, but with the lack of depth pitching-wise and then the lineup not really being that deep – um, does this team have what it takes? Do they don't end up making the deal to get Correa after initially having it. Is that a move maybe they'll regret down the line? Definitely not. I don't think so. But maybe for the immediate future, they don't. They need that kind of power, can st- steady bat in the lineup. And one critique I've always had over the Mets is that they don't have a power bat outside of Pete Alonso. And is that going to make a difference? This season, to start the year, they are 22nd in homers. They are 27th in batting average. And they are 25th in OPS. Very, very small sample size. But if you look at the teams they're compared to in batting average, the only team worse are the Oakland Athletics, Detroit Tigers and Kansas City Royals. And above them, it's the Pirates, Diamondbacks, and then it's the Mariners. Sorry, Ethan. But just to show you kind of where this team is at, they're not amongst teams that are going to be really playoff uh, playoff teams. Mariners are playoff team. But besides that, they're kind of in the bottom with these other teams. Seven games is way too early for anyone to call the panic button. But it does kind of show you that maybe the, the the talent they have on this roster right now is not cutting it. Is it a guy like Beatty that can help them? Alvarez, will he help them? These are questions they need to start asking. So that that's the biggest thing for me and Ethan. And I'll let you jump in here now. No, I want to say last year, I believe the Mariners were the first or the second team to take a series at City Field. I think they were the first in May. And they did that with Steven Souza playing in the outfield. But anyway, back to the Mets. They went in my biggest issue is they went into this this offseason. Obviously, they had that Correa deal in place, but that fell through. But Cohen believes that Daniel Vogelback can be a key, key piece, batting around five, six, four, depending on the day. I just don't think he's the answer in New York. His best, his best trade is that he blocks. He doesn't even hit that many bombs for out for his style of play. He should be doing that more. I think they need to find well, they should have found someone else in the offseason. And now it's a little too late, and they got to roll with this, see what happens. It's seven games, not much to worry about. And I think Scherzer will be fine. He has had 10-plus years of history showing that he's a top-five pitcher in the, in the major leagues. So I think there's nothing to worry about with there. But like Maddie said, too, I was very impressed with Senga. I I wasn't really sure what to expect after seeing the the athletic starting pitcher. Forgetting his name, the, the other Japanese pitcher who's up to 97, and he got rocked. So I was kind of a little worried to see what he was going to do. 
but he came in, he silenced everyone, showed he was good. Like Patty said, that fourth ball was or the ghost ball was pretty crazy. I saw they didn't even know how to um how to like say what pitch it was on the uh, on the pitch clock or on the pitch speed, the miles per hour. It just said unknown, which is pretty funny to see. But yeah, I think the Mets will be fine. There's no need to worry. Yeah, and one thing, one thing I'm I'm really interested in the point you made there about Vogelbach. I think it's a guy they kind of brought in to be, you know, you know, a splits kind of guy. He's a lefty. He'll mostly just bat against righties. And I think the goal was always kind of pair him with Darren Ruff. Like you brought them both in. Ruff would take one side. Vogelbach would take the other. And then through 60 games as Met, Met Vogelbach only has six home runs. And I know, you know, it's kind of hard to say, but. He also is striking out more than he's walking and he doesn't really give you any speed. And now that the game has kind of changed, speed has kind of become more of a necessity with the ability of the bigger bases. And I guess is he someone that's going to really help the Mets as, you know, they hope to make a move. I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not sure how it worked, but would Beatty be a better guy to maybe DH if you don't want to put him at third with Escobar, but Escobar struggling, maybe Beatty can help in there. I think there's definitely room for changes to be made. I think the Mets are going to be really active at the deadline or if not active at the deadline, active as soon as possible, because I do think that the biggest thing this team needs is right now. I don't think this lineup is a good enough lineup to win a world series. And I think that's the biggest concern. Yeah. I mean, the good point about Vogelback is now you have a guy who gets on base from like a walk or a hit by pitch more than him. And it's Tim LaCostro and he's faster around the bases. So you got a guy that does what you do, but better now. And he plays in the lineup. Sometimes I just, Daniel Vogelback was impressive to me when he came in because I doubted him, especially um, when I watched his opening couple games and he was like moderately impressive for me compared to what I imagined. And now it's just like, we really need production in the offense and he's not the guy that's going to give that. So, I mean, if you really want to continue playing Escobar, I would consider putting Beatty in that spot or even um, calling up somebody else. Like, um, it it just kind of depends on what you're feeling as Buck. But I think Buck is just generally too scared to move this lineup around, just like I said, because of his relationship with the players. So I don't, I don't really know if, you know, major improvements are going to happen because I know a lot of Mets fans – we're kind of upset when we saw opening day lineup. It looked exactly like last year's lineup. There was no change whatsoever. And you got to have some variety in your lineup every single year to make it a little bit difficult for these pitchers to know what your gimmick is and what your scheme is. They didn't do that. And so I think the Mets are suffering from like a lack of creativity with this lineup, like you guys are talking about. And it's it's showing a lot. And I don't think until there is like a change in the lineup that there's going to be any major change, really. So my question now is, Matty, I'll go to you this. I know I was looking up Brett Beatty. I know he left um, a AAA game. Well, he had a problem with his yeah. thumb. But if it doesn't look like it, there's any, he said no structural damage. Is he on this Mets roster, let's say by the All-Star break? I won't even say by the end of the season. Is he on this Mets roster by the All-Star break? If you have to say, and that it maybe give me what you think will happen and then what you think should happen. I think he definitely gets called up for a couple of games. I don't, I think before the all-star break, I don't know if he'll be like a continuous guy for them just because of, I don't think they're going to give up on Eduardo Escobar until Escobar gets injured. It's a matter of really when Escobar gets injured because he usually does get injured. And that happened last year. Um, I forget when, and I think it was like in like his big slump time that he was having. And when he was having that big slump, 
um, they didn't call Brett Beatty up. And the whole reason they're not calling Brett Beatty up right now is because the Mets organization thinks it would be unfair if he didn't get more reps in as a defensive guy um, in the minors. That's fine. Your team is struggling. I say like that he definitely could play a couple of series before the All-Star game. And I think that's kind of where it's going to be headed because I think the Mets organization is going to get desperate really soon if the next two series are lost. And I, and I know we touched on it um, a little bit, but we're talking a lot about Beatty and what he can make the move up. We've mentioned Francisco Alvarez. We talked about how he struggled in the spring, but this is a guy Mets fans have been clamoring for to make the majors for a while and to be kind of a steady guy behind the plate. I think some of the concerns for him is how would he work with the starting pitching? We know that Nito has a great relationship, I'm pretty sure, with guys like Max Scherzer. Um, Maddie, I know you've done ex- you extensive research on Francisco Alvarez. How good is this guy, and can he be can he be a difference maker for this team in the majors? I really like Francisco Alvarez, and I really like what he brings to the table in terms of like power hitting, because the Mets haven't had a good power hitting catcher since Piazza. Really, there's been nobody of the caliber that can really deliver something like that. The Mets have purely been defensive catchers ever since, um, and I think Alvarez is that change and that factor. I think when he got called up. He, Um, They put him in a really weird situation where they had him start against the Braves during a big chase for the playoffs, which I did not understand because that's just not a situation you want to put a brand new guy who just needs to get his start in the majors in. I think now that he's had more time to acclimate and learn, he definitely has what it takes. He pitched um, a relief session for Max Scherzer and Max Scherzer basically said, I think this guy has a lot of potential. And hearing that come from him, that's the best form of praise you can get as a catcher. So I think, you know, him, you know, starting in Syracuse and doing a little bit better than his like 107 spring, I think that this is like really the time that he can get called up. And I think this is like his moment to be like, I am a really good catcher alongside Nito. I think Nito can provide him a lot of support. Um, I like Nervaez from what I saw in like the first couple starts. He was a pretty good catcher. This injury takes him out eight to nine weeks. So Alvarez is going to get, I think, way more reps and much more time than he was given last year to really get with this Mets team and get going. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. I'll go to Ethan on this, but if you look at Alvarez's stats in spring training, two home runs, four RBIs, and six. 16 at bat. So he's been, you know, pretty good in AAA. This is a guy that hit 27 homers in, in two leagues um in the minors. And and he's had years of power before that. You go to 2021 over two leagues, he said 24 home runs. So he would definitely provide some sort of help to that power position. And hope if he's hot, this is someone that could probably be answered for the DH spot as well. If he's not going to be an everyday catcher, which you know, hard to do in the majors. So if he can hit for power at the major level, it's a start of an answer, definitely, for the Mets with Ethan. Um, if you had to kind of gauge where Francisco Alvarez is at the next level or any kind of take on the Mets as they look to try to get better at the play, where um, what, what would you think? Well, merely off the bat, he is a defensive improvement over Nervais. Nervais is not a good defensive catcher, although he's a switch hitter who hits, who hits well. But I think Alvarez is obviously the catcher of the future. I think it's a good time to start playing him now. They have the injury, which is a great, great excuse to get him up there. Let him get comfortable. Let him get as many at-bats as possible. Like we said with Volpe, no need to panic if he's not doing well to begin the season. He's a young person. He's going to figure it out. He has all the potential in the world. So they just got to let him ride 
and he's got to get first off, he's got to get comfortable with that pitching staff. Like you said earlier, he's had some experience with Scherzer, and obviously in spring training, he's had a, had experience with them. But once the comfortability comes out, comes from both the plate and behind the dish, I think he'll be very successful and hopefully lead the Mets team to this playoffs. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting scene. I think we'll have a lot more answers by next week's episode of the Noise Week, which I'm really excited to have as well. But I do want to transition. A lot of new rules in the MLB. Let's get into more general baseball talk. Probably the biggest rule is the pitch clock. I honestly couldn't break it down to you if I could. It's kind of funny that um now in our club baseball games, about 50% of the umpires come up to us and ask if we want to do the pitch clock. And I I always say no because I don't even know how it works. Um, but it's a new rule. I'm pretty sure it's at the college level. It's going to be introduced to the high school level, I've been told, next year. Um, and it's at the majors now. I'm pretty sure it's a – is it 20 seconds? It's a 20-second clock. It's uh, like it's 20 seconds. 20. There's a guy on base 15 seconds if nobody's on base, I believe. And then the hitter has his own clock, right? Right. Has, I think he has to look up by eight seconds and like make direct eye contact with the pitcher. And yeah. the pitcher, I know Otani got in trouble for throwing it before the guy was making eye contact, too. Yeah, so Otani's the only guy ever to get it hitting in pitching. So right. another record. Um, Machado's got in tossed because he didn't like the rule. Garrett Cole got taken out of game because he had a 3-2 count in the Castellanos, and he got a ball four off a time infraction, and he had to come out of the game, and then Schwarber ends up hitting a home run, I believe. So um, he kind of got killed by that move as well. So it definitely has added a couple things. I, I do have my own take on that that I'll get to um, in a minute. The second one is the shift rule. So Basically, you need two players on each side of the base, and no one can be on the outfield grass. They can be on the infield grass or the infield dirt, but they can't be on the outfield grass. And then I believe the the only other rule is basically the throwover rule, where you can only throw over once per at-bat. Um, and then you also have the rule of the bigger bases, which I believe has shortened the, the, the space from uh, first to second, second to third, so it's easier to steal bases now. And the bases are bigger, so you can kind of hold on to that base easier and grab a corner easier as well. Um, well I'll go to Ethan first, then we'll go to Maddie. Uh, first opinion on these new rules, and um, do you think they've helped the game? Do you like some and not all? Um, I'll just turn it over to you. We'll start with the pitch clock. It's obviously been beneficial. You can't have 162 games going three hours, 10 minutes. You're going to lose a lot of people. You're going to bore a lot of little kids with the attention spans decreasing, too. So around two hours, 40 minutes, I believe, is around the time. It's awesome. There's been a few games where I've watched where it's been exactly two hours. I think that's that's perfect. But in the postseason, I think they should do away with the pitch clock. There's no need for it there. Everyone who's watching the postseason wants to see intense baseball filled with all these moments of the fans cheering and intense stare downs between the pitchers and the cat or the pitchers and the hitters. And that's not going to happen with the pitch clock. So hopefully they take it off for the playoffs. But then back to the bases, the bases has provided a lot, a lot of entertainment. Just there's more people running. I've seen a lot of pickoffs, people trying to time up the pitchers more. So there's been a lot more action in baseball, which is what they've been going for. And hopefully that'll give them a bigger fan base and get keep kids interested in the game. Yeah, I'm going to kind of echo what Ethan is saying in terms of what I've liked. I have been a known supporter of the pitch clock. I think while, yes, 
I believe the Mets have struggled because of it. I I don't think it's been a hindrance for MLB as a whole. I think it's added to the game. I don't like sitting through three-hour-long West Coast games, especially at 10 o'clock at night. It's not what I want to do with my time. So to be able to have a shorter game, I think, makes it more beneficial for everybody going. Um, I also do like the bigger bases. I think that it just makes it more fun. You want to see people stealing. You want to see more action on the base path. I think it's just more fun that way. Um, I love the throw over rule. I hate watching pitchers throw over to first constantly. And there are some pitchers who do it all the time. It's so frustrating. There's a reason people boo when you go to the stadium when that happens. So I'm kind of sick of it. And I needed to like, finally see a change in major league baseball so i'm glad it happened i also like the shift rule now i think it got a little tiring when you're trying to get hits and really get everything for to not be able to have like just overcrowding in the in the area between first and second and to have kind of the shift resolved i think it was cool for a time but i'm glad it's kind of gone now so i'm really happy with the changes that major league baseball has made yeah, I, uh, I I definitely agree about everything there. And I will say this about the pitch clock. I like it right now, but I would have three rules for the pitch clock. One, you can't end an account on it. You can't end an at-bat on it. I don't want to see Cole having to walk a guy because he, didn't, he had a pitch clock infraction. Two, I believe it should not exist in the ninth inning because I feel like there's a lot of high leverage moments in the ninth inning that you need drawn out and the pitch clock shouldn't interfere there. And then third, I don't think you should have the pitch clock in playoffs. If you watch the World Baseball Classic – Having the, the pitch clock when Trout and Otani are going up against each other would be awful. Like, I want to be able to soak in. Like, I want every camera angle as much as a, a possible, and I don't think that would help. Okay, one uh, – oh, actually, and I forgot one rule, the position players pitching rule. Um, The winning team needs to have 10 or more runs, and the losing team needs to be down by eight runs or more in order to pitch, but it used to be six runs. So not really a big rule, but just a minor one. But I do want to move in to this last segment, kind of a fun segment that maybe we can keep going in others' nosebleed podcast. We'll just go around. I'll start with Ethan, then Maddie, and then I'll go and give mine. Just give me a couple news and notes of things that you've noticed throughout the um, throughout the season, maybe a big-time pitching performance, maybe someone standing out, maybe someone struggling, anything that's maybe caught your eye through this first week or so of baseball. Well, I'll, talk, I'll go over in Seattle. I've been very impressed with Luis Castillo. He's, I think he's gone 12 innings. No runs, two hits allowed, few little infield hits, and he hasn't even he hasn't even put it up to ninety nine yet. He said later in the season he's going to start throwing harder. It's his thing he's done ever since he's been in Cincinnati. He'll be ninety four to ninety seven, and then when he needs it, he'll be bumping up to ninety nine. So I think he's a real contender for the um, the AL Cy Young and someone to watch, and hopefully lead the Mariners to more success. Yeah, I would say my big story out of the week was kind of more heart like warming story out of the Orioles with Grayson Rodriguez making his first um, start for the Orioles and recording five strikeouts and reading his story of how he got to the organization um, as a high school player and then not making it to the big leagues after he just had a horrendous like seven ERA in one of his like um, early seasons. And then to now coming out and him talking about how nervous he was, how excited he was, how the fans rallied around him to watch all that happen. That's what baseball is about. And to me, to watch him be able to do that start and have that kind of success, like as a rookie pitcher was great to watch. And it's something that I really enjoy um, seeing across Major League Baseball as a whole. 
Yeah, great story there. I've got two that I'm going to touch on. The first one I'm going to do is Sandy Alcantara. I mean, like, we know how good this guy is, but complete game, three hits, five strikeouts against the Twins. Um, the game time was an hour and 57 minutes. I mean, this guy is next level. He threw 100 pitches on the dot in that game. Um, I mean, he's a special player. He's the only guy in the majors that it seems like anytime he can go out, there's a very, very good chance he throws a complete game. And he's only 27. I'm not sure when this guy's contract expires. He signed through 2026, actually. But, I mean, he's going to get a record deal as a starter because if you can have a guy that can give you that much length, he's only really going to go to a place that would let him go that long. He'll be very, very dominant. And the second storyline I have is the San Francisco Giants. I mean, I don't think people expected this lineup to be as powerful as it has been. 15 homers to start the year that's leading all of baseball. And they've had some games where they've absolutely dominated. They put up 16 runs yesterday against the White Sox, 12 runs in game one of that series. And they didn't really kind of show it against the Yankees. But this is a team that has really, really exploded um, in this most recent series against the White Sox where they took two out of three. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be tough to see. I'm curious to see how their pitching will be this year. But if they can keep that lineup going as good as it's been with, you know, Conforto looking really good, Jock's been great. They've got some talent, a lot of ex-Mets actually on that team. Then they're going to be dangerous, um, especially in the NL West, which is a very, very tough division with the Padres and the Dodgers. But I think that's just going to about do it for this episode of the Nosebleeds podcast. From Matty Bamante, Ethan Kramer, I'm Michael Calamari. Tune in next week. More Yankees, more Mets talk. We're going to talk around the league baseball and uh, get into all things, all the news about the MLB. But thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.